Do your kids want more Mystery Kids episodes? Are you sick of the same ones playing every single day? Well, we have the perfect place for you. Head over to become a Patreon today. For $5 a month, you'll get two more bonus episodes, plus episodes that are already in Patreon. Episodes like The Deepest Hole on Earth, The Great Emu War in Australia of 1932, The Bombing of Hawaii's Volcano, The Dancing Plague, The Ohio Grassman, and some animal fact episodes about the pangolin, the ai, the axolotl, and the taipan, plus much, much more. This makes a wonderful birthday present for your kids and gives you way more to talk about as a family, which is the whole point of the Mystery Kids podcast. So for $5 a month, you can get two more bonus episodes plus all the past episodes. To become a patron, go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com backslash Mystery Kids Pod and sign up today. Thank you so much for your support. On today's episode of the Mystery Kids Podcast, we'll be talking about strange things to see in Oregon. Welcome to the Mystery Kids Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Mystery Kids Podcast. We are so excited to have you here, and I needed to do a shout out for our new Patreon listeners. So we've got Dylan Finn and Gabrielle. Thank you so much for listening and becoming a Patreon and supporting this podcast. We also would like to shout out to my friend who created a new podcast called The Homeschool Helper. Um, I actually just recently listened to one of her episodes on Legos. That was really cool to learn about like how Legos were created in the first place and how they were originally made out of wood. Anyways, such a fascinating episode. So go check out The Homeschool Helper. I'll have her her link in the show notes. On today's episode, I thought it would be really fun to pick a place and find some strange things that happen in that place. So I just randomly picked the state Oregon, and I did not realize how many crazy, fun, fascinating things are in Oregon. So I'm really excited to get going on this episode. And first, to start out this episode, I wanted to give some facts and fun things to learn about Oregon. Also, if you're from Oregon, please let me know. Tag us in your stories. Um, I would love to hear if you're in Oregon and where you're at in Oregon. So first of all, Oregon is in the USA. Its nickname is the Beaver State. It became a state in 1859 and it was the 33rd state. So its population, and this was in 2016, was 4,093,465. The capital of Oregon is Salem, which is kind of surprising because Portland is actually the largest city. Um, Their state bird is a western meadowlark, and the state flower is an Oregon grape. So in 1803, the United States bought this huge piece of land as part of the Louisiana Purchase. And a year later, President Thomas Jefferson sent American explorers Meriwether Lewis and William Clark to map the newly purchased territory, as well as the land beyond, which included the region that's now known as Oregon. Starting in the 1840s, American settlers arrived by way of the Oregon Trail, a more than 2,000-mile-long route for wagon trips 
trains. Marks that wagon wheels have left in the earth called ruts can still be found today. Soon there were so many Americans here that the European countries gave up their claim to the land. And in 1859, Oregon became the 33rd state. So why is it called Oregon? There's actually some different reasons that they think it could be called Oregon. So it could have come from the French French word Oregon. Um, I'm going to go with that all those years of French, and I don't know how to pronounce anything, but um, Oregon, which means hurricane. It's a term used by the French explorers to describe a super windy area of the States. And then other people believe that it could come from the, from the Chinook, Chinook word, Oolagan, a type of fish that the Native Americans that were from this area ate. So Oregon was named the beaver state because early settlers used it to trap these animals for their fur. If you don't know where Oregon is, Oregon is bordered by Washington in the north, Idaho in the east, Nevada and California to the south, and the Pacific Ocean is in the west. So it's on the coast of, it's on the west coast of the USA. The land can be divided into six areas of lowlands, plateaus, and mountains. So the Columbia Plateau is Oregon's largest geographical region, and it fills almost the entire eastern half of the state. Hell's Canyon, it's the deepest river gorge in North America is here. The canyon is on average 5,500 feet deep. Nearly five stacked Eiffel Towers could fit inside it. That's a really deep canyon. Um, South of the Columbia Plateau is the basin and range region, which is mostly semi-arid and contains a few steep mountains. And running north to the south through the state are the Cascade Mountains, an area of major highs and lows. These include Mount Hood, Oregon's highest point at 11,245 feet, and Crater Lake, the deepest lake in the United States, at the depth of 1,943 feet. The Willamette Lowland is narrow, fertile area in the northwest. The coast range in the west has low forested mountains, small lakes, and cliffs that follow the Pacific coast. The Klamath Mountains, a rugged forest area, are across Oregon's southwest corner. Here you'll find Oregon Caves National Monument. So once hunted for its fur, the beaver, Oregon State Animal, is very common. Other local mammals include the Roosevelt elk, gray wolves, and wolverines. Burrowing owls, snowy plovers, sage grouse, and osprey are some of Oregon's avian residents, which means they're bird. Reptiles such as the western pond turtles and Oregon alligator lizards creep throughout the state. Meanwhile, spotted frogs, Pacific giant salamanders, and coastal tailed frogs are a few of the area's amphibians. Oregon provides the most soft wood lumber in the United States. It it has the sunstone, which is the official state gem. Opal, agate, and jade are also mined there. Fun facts about Oregon, author Beverly Cleary, who wrote um, the Ramona books, was born in Oregon. And sea lions, stellar sea lions, live year-round in the sea caves and caverns of Oregon's coast. So Oregon has so much to see and is an absolutely fascinating place. So now I'm going to tell you about some unusual things that you can spot if you ever head to Oregon. First, I have to share the wreck of the Peter Aradell. 
So the Peter Aradel was a four-masted steel bark sailing vessel that ran ashore in October 25th, 1906 on the Oregon coast en route to the Columbia River. It ended up being abandoned um, near Fort Stevens in Warrington, about four miles south of the Columbia River Channel. The wreckage is still visible today, and it makes it a popular tourist attraction. It's one of the most accessible shipwrecks of the graveyard of the Pacific. No one has been able to remove the boat, so it just stays there. And over the last hundred plus years, it is slowly deteriorating. And I'll have pictures on our website and I'll have the link in the show notes as well. Next up is the world famous organ vortex. It's one of the strangest and most mysterious places on earth. It was actually referred to by the Native Americans as forbidden ground. Their horses refused to walk in the affected area. The natives choose, chose to avoid this place as well. And more recently, an investigation, which was covered at the Oregonian Talks of Investigators, tried to ride horses through the site. But before getting to the vortex, they would completely stop and reverse the directions. So a Scottish geologist and mining engineer named John Lister developed the area in the early 1920s and opened the vortex to the public public in the 1930 until he passed in 1959 he conducted thousands of experiments here since the 1930s the vortex has been drawing thousands of tourists physics scientists and anyone else intrigued by the unexplainable So Lester's theory is that the property is a site of a spherical force field, half above the ground and half below it. It's just under 165 feet in diameter, which causes these things. Histories tell us that the place was a say shack built on an old gray eagle mining company in 1904. Eventually, the shack was apparently knocked off its foundation by some sort of geological disruption. It was probably a flood. And to this day, it still is where it stands. It's now sideways and half collapsed. It's truly strange. So it's got this house that's kind of shifted sideways and that's just where it stayed. According to the owner, Maria D. Cooper, some people even visit the vortex to find relief for their back pain. Other things that can happen there is brooms stand on end, water seems to flow uphill, uphill and people appear to grow and shrink inside its center piece. Next up is Mount Hood's Sandy Glacier. So this was a glacier glacier cave system that was only fully discovered and documented in 2011. It is the largest and most extensive glacier cave system in the contigu- contiguous United States measured this cave system to be at about one mile in length. The caves formed from an internal glacial melting at what are the headwaters of the Muddy Fork River. And as the melting continues, the caves grow larger with their entrances melting their way up the glacier slopes. Eventually, it's predicted the caves will be completely gone within seven to ten years once the interior melting has reached the surface of the glacier. Glacier caves are are known as Snow Dragon, Pure Imagination, and Frozen Minotaur Caves. Now, we've talked many times about weird things that are show up on the shores. 
Well, here in Oregon's beaches, some strange things started to show up on their shore. In winter and spring, Oregon's beaches can turn from a vivid hue of purplish blue. Known as By the Wind Sailor, the Velala Velala is a living blue boat at the mercy of the winds. Velala is one rare instance of an animal's scientific name being more fun to say than its common name. So Velala, the storms blow these odd creatures with melodious names ashore, stranding them into uncountable numbers. So cousins to anemones, jellyfish, and the Portuguese man of war, Velala is a carnivorous predator. Toxins in its tentacles are deadly to plankton prey, but don't pack enough punch to poison humans. However, some people with sensitive skin report rashes after handling these stinging hydrosians. Touch your eyes or mouth after touching a velala is not recommended. Also not recommended is running or even walking quickly across the velala covered beach, which becomes a slippery mess as the creatures decay. And the reek of rotting velala can ruin a beach picnic. A by-the-wind sailor is not a single creature. Rather, it's a colonial organism, a collection of hydroid polyps that clone themselves. They build a buoyant boat with a stiff triangular sail and take on a specialized functions of protection by feeding and reproducing, similar to a cooperating crew member of a ship who performs tasks of guarding the boat, catching the fish, cooking the meals, and so on. The individual polyps of a velula colony are linked together by the digestive channel through which they share their food. Each velula is a busy world of specialized polyps born on a tiny boat across the windsurred seas. So strange. They are really, really weird. Um, so they wash ashore um, and sometimes they get eaten by a hungry seagull. And in the open ocean, by the wind sailors are eaten by ocean sunfish, a seizure a creature that can grow to more than 2,000 pounds. These behemoths rise towards the surface to sip velula, a colonial organism a couple of inches long, become the flesh of the largest bony fish on the planet. Velula is also preyed upon in the ocean by a species of purple snail that makes a bubbly raft to stay afloat as it stalks the sailing prey. The by the wind sailor, also known as the velula, is also hunted by a sea slug known as the blue dragon. So when the velula by the billions arrives in Oregon, it covers a vast stretch of beach in a purple haze or painting the shores electric blue. Strange creatures and definitely something I would go to Oregon to see because I want to understand what these creatures look like and how they're all kind of connected and separate at the same time. Anyway, super strange creatures, the velula. So fox swifts are truly amazing aerialists. So they are a type of bird. They spend much of their time in the air, foraging, drinking, courting, collecting nesting material, all in flight. They have a voracious appetite for flying insects and ballooning spiders. So the fox swifts arrive in Oregon in late April. They find their mates in May and June, and they have their four to six eggs laid and hatched by July. In the fall, the swifts congregate in a large group as they prepare for their migration southward to Central America and Venezuela. So during September, the large group of swifts pass through 
Portland, Vancouver, the metro metropolitan area. So the Vox Swift looked like a small, dark, flat, fast flying cigar with wings. Their small bodies are four to five inches in length. Their wings are crescent, crescent shape and beat with a swift, racket, rapid, bat-like movements. Swifts do not perch and are fine flying or clinging to vertical surfaces such as trees and chimneys. They've known to make their home in the Northwest Portland houses and Chapman Elementary School. It's the largest known roost of migrating Vox Swifts in the world. Typically, the Swifts will only stay a couple weeks before they continue their migrating journey. But in 1980, they started here and they've come every single year since, hanging out in this chimney of the Chapman Elementary School. Skylight Cave. Skylight Cave is a lava tube near Sisters, Oregon. So you enter the cave through a steel ladder of a collapsed root section. Since the cave was created by a lava tube, sections of a lava tube have collapsed to make like holes in the top of the roof, which are known as the skylights, which is what the name the cave is named after. So during the cave's formation, it may have like small little spots that have caved in and collapsed. You have to stay till a certain time of day to see the skylights shine into specific spots of the cave. Ghost Forest of Neskowin. Rising out of the sand and seawater of Oregon's Tillamote Coast, around a hundred ancient decaying stumps stand. For centuries, these old stumps were hidden under the sand. They peek above the surface only briefly every few decades. The ghost forest was little more than a lot local legend. Then in the winter of 1997 to 1998, the coast was pummeled by a powerful storm that eroded away the sand and exposed this uncanny natural wonder that was buried beneath. Geologists theorize they were about 2,000 years old. An earthquake dropped the forested land into the tidal zone. So when the water rushed in, it buried the decapitated trunks in the mud, which staved off decay and preserved the forest remains for years to come. Before they met this watery fate, the mitre trees stood around 150 to 200 feet tall. Today, the petrified relics of those giants share the beach with the small tide pools and various marine life. The phantom-like forest is revealed by the shallow waters of low tide, and more and more ancient stems become exposed when the tide is at its lowest during the summer. Oregon is home to Mill Ends Park. It is the smallest park in the world. It is a tiny urban park consisting of one tree located in the median strip. So that's where the cars drive in between where the cars drive um, in Portland, Oregon. The park is a small circle, two feet across with a total area of 452 square inches. According to the Guinness Book of World Record, it is the smallest park in the world and it was recognized in 1971. So just some fun facts about how this little teeny park was created. Um, in 1946, Dick Fagan returned from World War II to resume his journalist career at the Oregon Journal. So his office was on the second floor above Front Street, um, now known as NATO Parkway. It gave him a view of not only the busy street, but also an unused hole in the median where a light pole was supposed to be placed. So no pole arrived. And 
and weeds started to take over the space. So Fagan decided to take matters into his own hands and to plant flowers. He wrote a popular column called Mill Ends, which mill ends are rough, irregular pieces of lumber left over at the lumber mills. So he used this column to describe the park where various events occurred. Um, Fagan built the space as the world's smallest park. So the park was dedicated on St. Patrick's Day in 1948, since Fagan was a good Irish man. He continued to write about activities in the park until he died in 1969. So many of his columns described the lives of groups of leprechauns who established the only leprechaun colony of West Ireland in the park. Fagan claimed to be the only person who could see the head leprechaun, Patrick O'Toole. After Mill Ends officially became a city park on St. Patrick's Day in 1976, the park continued to be the site of St. Patrick's Day festivals. So over the years, contributions have been made to the park, such as the small swimming pool, a diving board for butterflies, mini statues, a miniature Ferris wheel, which was brought in by a normal-sized crane, um, the occasional flying saucer. The events held there include Clan McClay pipe bands, uh, picnics, and rose paintings by the Junior Rose Festival Courts. So the park actually had to be moved temporary in 2006 due to construction on the road, and it was replaced back in on March 16th in 2007 in true St. Patrick's Day style with the Rose, Royal Rosarians, the Bagpipers, and the Fagan family, so including Dick's wife, Catherine, in attendance. Such a fun little story about this teeny tiny little park with its quirky little personality. I'm going to share a few more things, but they are going to be on my Patreon. So don't forget to become a Patreon so you can support our podcast and keep it running. Porter's Ponderings. Which place in Oregon would be the most fun to visit? Have you ever been to Oregon? Don't forget to give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. And thank you so much for listening. If you could do me a favor and share this with a friend who you think they would love it. Also, if you are homeschooling this year or your kid loves to read or would like to read more, I'm currently doing a read aloud group on Instagram. So it's called Miss Tess Reads. And I used to be a teacher and I loved reading aloud to kids. So on this, I read each chapter and I have homework with quotation around it. Kind of fun homework for kids to do. So if you're homeschooling, if your kid likes to read, or maybe you have a reader that needs to listen to more read alouds, this is a perfect place for you to join. So again, it's at Miss Tess Reads on Instagram. And there you can listen to me read. Currently, we're reading The Land of Stories. Can't wait to see you there. See you on the next episode of the Mystery Kids Podcast. Thanks for listening.